As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by Paul Tenorio, and we are coming to you from Austin, Texas, where the U.S. men's national team just beat Jamaica 2-0 in a pretty solid overall performance at Q2 Stadium. U.S. now in first in the Ocho, in the CONCACAF octagonal, with eight points through four games. We are going to break this down in depth for you. But first, Paul, I wanted to give a very special shout out. Uh, to Meg Lenahan and Steph Yang and everybody else at The Athletic who has done such amazing work uh, on their coverage of this entire NWSL scandal and fallout from the Paul Riley uh, disturbing, basically, findings that were told to Meg. Um, we did not, I don't know if the timing was wrong last week or whatever it was, but we did not shout it out on last week's show, and we were remiss to not do so. So shout out to Meg. She's a star. If you somehow are listening to this show and don't know what I'm talking about, go to The Athletic, read that story. It's important. It's really good journalism, um, and it's continuing to have massive ramifications in NWSL and hopefully will lead to a better world and a better league for the women's players in our country. So before we dive, dive dove into USMNT stuff, I just wanted to give that a shout out. Paul, I know you feel the same way that I do about that story, so... Um, I'll spare you. It is it is late. It's 1.30 a.m. here in Austin, so we'll just dive right into it. 2 nothing win. Like I said, pretty solid overall performance. Uh, we can just do a, a, a quick little breakdown. Paul, you want to take us through the starting 11 and kind of some of the chronology of, of some of the key events in the game? Wow. Yeah, I'm honored. I'm honored to do so. You hadn't spoken yet, so I, I, I've been talking <laughs> for a while. I'm like, I need to get this man involved. I got to pass him the ball. I appreciate it. I appreciate you granting me this opportunity. Um, yeah, you know what? The starting lineup was um, actually had a few surprises, I felt like, in the starting lineup, just based on um, who had been available for training and some of the guys that we were expecting to see, um, Chris Richards being one of them. So the starting lineup, Matt Turner and goal, Serginho Dest, Walker Zimmerman, Miles Robinson, Anthony Robinson from right to left, Tyler Adams, Eunice Musa, Weston McKinney in midfield. And then Paul Ariola, Ricardo Pepe, and Brendan Aronson on the forward line. Um, you know, 
Yunus Musa starting, uh, despite a COVID scare and inconclusive test that held him out of training on Wednesday, Greg Berhalter and his staff did not get back the results of that PCR test until 6.46 p.m. yesterday, <laughs> exactly 24 hours before kickoff. 23 hours and 59 minutes. 23 hours, 59 minutes. Not sure how many seconds had passed in that 6.46 yeah. time slot. Unfortunately, that time stamp on, on his iPhone was only down to the minute, but credit to Greg Berhalter for giving us the to-the-minute update <laughs> on when he got that text. Um, and Yunus Musa was very good in this game, so it was a good thing that he was out there. I thought Walker Zimmerman had a strong performance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, But for me, Sam, I'll, I, before we start going into details, I'll just say from kind of a 35,000-foot view, mm-hmm. uh, is that the right way to put it? I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah you get it. Aronson, Pepe, Musa, Wea, Ariola, those are my guys in this game. Those are my yeah. guys. And I agree. And I can't wait to actually have a little bit of a segment on Paul Ariola and his performance because I know people are like, Yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in on the first four names, and then I threw Ariola in there with Sam, <laughs> and they're like, What? No. The old curveball. The old Paul Ariola curveball. Let's talk about Pepe for a second, man. Because I, 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 when you said 35,000 foot view, that's what I thought you were going to. I mean, the guy scored two goals, 18 years old, playing in his home state here in Texas two months ago, Paul. This guy didn't even know if he was going to play for the U.S., if he was going to play for Mexico. And here we are. He has a huge second half in Honduras, goal and two assists. Really just one assist. One of those assists was fake. But but it counts in it's the stat sheet. Assist. It was a it's it was a fake a, assist. It was, it was a, a shot, shot that led to a goal. Let's call it. <laughs> you can't that. get an assist We're on a call shot. It an assist. A shot that led no, to a whatever. goal. Whatever. Anyway, he has a goal and two assists, and then tonight he comes out and he scores two goals. He's pretty quiet otherwise, but the kid knows how to finish. He has a knack for getting open the box, and when he does get open in the box and he gets that service, it it's in. Like. He's playing with such confidence right now. He's got 13 goals in MLS, which I believe is tied for the all-time record for a teenager uh, with Diego Fagundes uh, from his Revs days. Um, kind of a weird one there. Uh, three goals in two games for the national team, his first two games. He's super calm. He's super composed. He, he No moment seems too big for him. This guy is destined for, I think, I believe, a huge money move this winter. Paul, I'm not the type of guy to really get carried away by U.S. national team prospects. I think most listeners of this show know that. I am all in on Ricardo Pepe. I love this guy. And and, and Berhalter said it after the game. He has that instinct. He has that goal scorer's instinct that's really like almost impossible to teach. And and you see that every time he's suited up for the national team. You see it pretty often for Dallas. And that's really why I'm so high on him. Like That's impossible to teach. And the U.S. is... I mean, has the U.S. ever really had that in a pure number nine? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not going to go so far to say the U.S. hasn't had a, a number nine who, with a nose for a goal. I mean, Brian right. McBride That's scored not, a lot of right. goals. Yeah, of course. Of Josie Altidore scored a lot of goals. And, in fact, Ricardo Pepe and Sam, I'm doing this just for you. I want you to know that I'm doing this just oh, for you. I appreciate that. Ricardo Pepe has had Maybe. an amazing start to his national team career. He has yeah. not yet matched the start that Eddie Johnson had to his national team career. That's right. Lest we forget. Man, lest we forget, good old DJ Eddie Johnson had an incredible start to his national team career. I'm pulling up the stats right now because I want to make sure I nail it. 
But, you know, people underappreciate what Eddie was for the <laughs> national team. On our national team draft, I caught a lot of, a lot of crap. I think, I think it's fair to say that Pepe is doing it on a bigger stage than EJ did it on. I remember some of those games. Whoa, whoa, whoa. They whoa, were not whoa. Hex games. They were not Ocho games. He scored his okay? first goal against a little bit of a different Salvador, magnitude of thing. Okay, in his first cap. Right. Then he scored a yeah. hat trick four days later against Panama. Against. Okay. Then he scored the game-winning goal it was in the a next very game bad against team. Guatemala. He had okay. seven goals then, in his first six World Cup qualifiers. I don't care. Why are we talking about Eddie Johnson? Because right I just, I'm just saying. I, I think I might have to call him. Eddie Johnson. We, just, we have a whole match to Pepe analyze. And you're bringing through. up Eddie That's Johnson. I just, I'm just apologize. Saying, apologize no, to our listeners. You apologize for not putting some love and respect on EJ's name. That's all I'm saying. I will never apologize. I'll never back down. Um, anyway, no, I'm excited Pepe's about Ricardo Pepe. Pepe. Pepe's an incredible player. I think you're partly excited because of your Pepe's for Pepe movement, mm-hmm. um, which makes a lot of sense. I think it works. Yeah. But we, we've got to, you know, movement. we've got to figure out how to how to make it an official thing. Definitely yeah. that we need to help the DJ that's been playing these. The, yeah, the he's having a rough go. Um, but Paul, let's 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 stay a little bit focused here. Oh, We're all over the I shop right so. now. I okay. So. <laughs> well, I'm gonna rein you in a little bit. First of all, for those of you who don't know, Paypass is a is a jam. It's a banger. <laughs> Go listen to it. It's fantastic. Um second of all, I think we're both excited about Pepe. I think everyone has a right to be excited about Pepe. Burr Halter said he's excited about Pepe. They're riding the train, as he put it. He after said it. The match. He's on the train. He's on the train. Um but I wanna do get beyond him. Um, and beyond that, because it's, while it's fair to be excited, there was a lot more that happened in this game that is worth talking about. Um, and I think first and foremost is something that we highlighted before the match, and that's verticality, right? It was kind of the buzzword for the USMNT heading into this camp. Burhalter brought it up a few times. You asked him about it. I think we talked about it on the show last week, in fact. Um, and he wanted the US wingers and strikers to play a little bit higher up the field, to run in behind, to really stretch the back line. And he wanted the midfielders to play a little bit more directly through the middle, play more vertically, get the ball, go, go forward, a little less side to side. Uh, We saw that tonight in a pretty serious and significant way. Um, I thought it was really positive. Uh, I think the best moments for the U.S. throughout the game, even in the first half when there weren't so many clear-cut chances, were because or were via that verticality. Um, and I thought it was a really, really good thing for a team that, while it got five points in the September window, didn't play up to standard in any of those three matches. And and tonight, I don't think you can really say that. They executed the plan well. Yeah, I think if you want to just pull the first goal out and use that moment, I think it speaks to verticality perfectly. It's exactly yeah. what Greg Berhalter was talking about on multiple levels. Matt Turner gets the ball immediately starts, you know, rolls it out to Serginio Dest, and Dest turns up the field and gets moving. And by the time he carries the ball all the way across to midfield, passes it to Yunus Musa about 10 yards past midfield, and Musa turns into space. And, and why is that space there? The space is there because Paul Ariola immediately turns when Musa receives the ball and starts making a run toward goal. And Jamaica's back line, He's- their fullback, He's occupying Kamar Lawrence. Kamar Lawrence can't pressure. Kamar Lawrence turns with him, immediately turns away from the ball and starts to move with Ariola. Pepe originally had started to check towards Musa. He spins out and he starts to turn vertically too. The center back stops in his tracks and starts to track back with Pepe. And Musa, recognizing the space is there. Acres of space. Drives forward on yeah. the ball at pace. 
And it's actually a recovering midfielder behind Musa that starts to apply pressure. And Musa plays the ball out wide to Serginio Dest, who's now in space. And Serginio plays a little chip of a cross. Ricardo Pepe has recycled that run into the box. And the, the, it's actually an incredible header. And the, the ball is a little bit behind Pepe, yeah. about seven yards from goal. And he's able to reach his head back around and flick the ball to the far post. But, Sam, you, you tweeted this. It was, like, what, 100 yards of space that they covered? It was four passes. 101. 101 yards, four passes, constant, just pure verticality. 16 seconds. Yeah. From Paul Ariola, from Ricardo Pepe that led to that goal. And that is some of what the U.S. wanted to do. It's just one example of verticality. There, mm-hmm. you know, there are other places where you needed the verticality, even playing against the low block that Jamaica played for some parts of the first half, especially. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that is a great example of what Greg Berhalter was looking for from this team. Absolutely. So let's wind it back a little bit and we can go through the game. Um, it started really positively for the U.S., like like literally from the first whistle. You know, there was a turnover in midfield or a loose ball in midfield, and Musa picked it up in the U.S. half, immediately found Pepe around midfield. Pepe had a little bit of a layoff to Aronson. Aronson played a one-time ball through to Areola, who's making a run behind the back line. Kamar Lawrence, former Red Bull, current Toronto FC. Uh, he dragged him down from behind, and Areola was in on goal, and I have no idea how that was not a red card. Jamaica should have been down to 10 within the first minute of the match, uh, and Kamar Lawrence was very lucky that he was not sent off. 18 seconds. Was it 18 seconds? It was 18 yeah. seconds. Even Aronson, Brendan Aronson in his post-game press conference was like, it was really early into the game, so I don't know if you can give a red card. If it's a red card, it's you a can, red card. You can, Brendan. Yeah. He's young. We'll give him a pass. Um, so that happened right off the bat. Uh, I think in the fifth minute, there was a play where Anthony Robinson and Aronson combined on the left uh, in, in a positive way. That sort of continued throughout the first half. There was a play in the 18th minute. I think Robinson was, was played in position for a really good cross. It wasn't a very good ball that he hit. It was behind behind Areola. Um, you know, 30th minute, McKenney and Aronson had had a nice little combo play uh, after McKenney won a, a second ball on the left-hand side. Uh, 33rd minute, easily could have been another red card. Aronson strips Damian Lowe, Jamaica center back, right near midfield. I don't know who he played it to, um, but he played it to a teammate. Teammate played him through. He gets him behind. Lowe actually makes an incredible tackle, in my opinion. I don't think it was a foul. As it happens, was... you turned to me and said, incredible tackle. That's what you said. <laughs> and then yeah. the whistle blew, and we were like, whoa, he just called that. And it looked like at first that he was calling a penalty. because he was, it was on the literal was the edge box. of the penalty area. And, uh, you know, no VAR in, in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying because – because CONCACAF and uh, Lowe was the last man and so I don't think it was a foul but if you call the foul it has to be a red card denial of a clear goal scoring opportunity if you call if you, the moment you call it a foul it is a red card exactly uh, again he gets off with a yellow and that was kind of it for the first half Jamaica actually had the better looks towards the end of the first half um, there was one play I can't remember who it was guy cut in from the right-hand side on his left foot and forced to turn her into a diving save. Jamal Lowe. Um, Jamal Lowe with a low Jamal Lowe. shot. Yeah. And then Shamar Nicholson, the striker, had a really good flicked header off of a corner kick. And, no, I mean, very easily could have snuck in at the back post, very easily could have hit a teammate, but no one was able to run onto it for an easy finish on the doorstep. And you go into halftime and it's 0-0. 
And, and Paul, I was a little bit more pessimistic than you were at the break. We were sitting up there. We're the vantage point at, at Q2 Stadium, which, by the way, really cool venue. Um, I enjoyed it. I thought it got properly loud in there. Uh, the DJ was was bad and stupid, and well, I wish we'll, we'll US Soccer would change this production. Yeah, we'll come back but, to that later. But like, we had great. The, we had outdoor press box, outdoor auxiliary yeah. press box by choice. And we had the we, all twenty-two. Uh, we had a great vantage point of the all twenty-two. We were able to see movement, um, shape, defensive movement, especially pressing really, really clearly, yeah. really, really well. And and so Sam, you and I had a conversation at halftime because for a good chunk of maybe I want to say fifteen to twenty minutes, Jamaica had dropped. You know, starting about twenty minute, fifteen twenty minutes in, mm-hmm. um, they dropped into that low block and and said basically try to break us down the way Canada did. Let's- looked a lot like Canada. And and you felt like it was looking a lot like Canada. I think the stats kind of showed that it was looking a lot like Canada. US wasn't really able to generate a ton of touches in the box. They weren't really able to create anything any sort of clear-cut chances. I felt it didn't look as much like Canada because I thought the US was actually doing a better job of creating shorter passes and combinations around the defendant the defensive players to try to pull them out of space. It led to a couple little looks, and I just felt like yeah. there was more confidence. There was more they, – they were creating more dangerous opportunities. They weren't getting through to the mm-hmm. very end, right? There was this moment where Wes and McKinney combined on the left side of the box, and he actually um, – you know, Earned a corner, yeah. With, with Aronson on, in the 30th minute, like yeah. you said, earned the corner. Like There were these little combinations and moments – um, there was another combination between Dest and Ariola and Aronson, and Aronson ended up trying the left-footed curler and just didn't yeah, get his foot yeah. around it. You know, they were doing things like that that they weren't doing at all against Canada. Against at Canada. All. No, you're absolutely right. And so I was feeling a little bit more like, hey, you know, they're 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 doing some good things here. They're doing some good things. They're going to break through, and and um, and I they did, and they did. They pretty much very quickly. It wasn't yeah. a breakthrough against the low block. Um, to be fair, no, but it was and Jamaica. Was Jamaica did not, and they said this. The head coach Tapa Whitmore and center back Adrian Mariapa. They both said this in the post game press conference. They they lost their discipline in the second half from a tactical standpoint, and that killed them. Um, but part of that, I think, Paul, is what Burhalter has been talking about since the Gold Cup and maybe even before. The U.S. is really good at wearing teams down, like really, really good. Um, you know, maybe not in the 49th minute. That's, that's not an excuse for Jamaica, but the last 10, 15 minutes of that game, Jamaica was exhausted, like completely dead. They had nothing. And the U.S. very easily could have made this three, four, even five, nothing on a few occasions through Giassi's artists, uh, in particular. And I think that played a role in Jamaica losing their tactical discipline. Um, and we saw it, we walked through the first goal already. Right is kind of a key example, and, and that really turned things for the U.S. You could see how you could see the confidence immediately. You could see the confidence. Musa was driving at people Dest. more. Yeah. Dest was Dest was being Dest going. Dest at maybe people. got a little too confident. Weston McKinney <laughs> was just starting to dribble at guys after that. Um, Brendan yeah. Aronson was, was trying more. Aronson shots from was distance. fantastic. He was man. he was really he was good. So good. I, I thought you know for me, man, I from where we were, the angle we were at, I would say. I, I'm interested to go home to Chicago to watch the game on the broadcast. So I, I can't say this with 100% certainty because I haven't seen the broadcast. But I can tell you that from my our vantage point, 
my appreciation for what Paul Paul Ariola does is like significantly higher than I think most people's attitude toward him on Twitter. He was incredible. He was so relentless in his running, defensive, defensive running, attacking person. running. He he did not stop pressing, pressing, pushing. I mean, the poor back line, that was like the oldest back line in CONCACAF history for Jamaica tonight. And he was just absolutely destroying them. And so they, was they Aronson. Old, but but Kamar Lawrence and Elvis Powell are pretty damn good athletes. Yeah, he, he was right. he was just nonstop. There were multiple times where he his pressing pushed the ball over to Aronson's side to allow Aronson to then make the turnover and create an opportunity out of it. That started from how far and how much Ariola was running and how hard he was going. And there was this great moment in the second half in the 67th minute where Ariola is running, running to create a turnover, chases, wins the ball, and and basically crosses the field, gets it to Aronson. Aronson gives it back to him because the, he, had, he had just covered like 70 gra- yards of space from right to left, and and his shot was blocked for a corner kick, and he kind of laid on the grass and smiled and laughed because it was just, like, incredible at that point in the game how hard he had been working. And it was it was 2 nothing at that point in time for him to push the way he had pushed just then. Just I, I just think, like, people underrate him because he, yes, he is not great in the final third. He has some touches and, that aren't clean. And he clean. was not. He was not in this game. Yeah, this first half, there were some moments that were just really just kind of typical Paul Ariola. But, like, I just feel like with what he provided on that wing, like, it's it's no surprise to me that I thought Tim Weah was really, really good when he came in. But he Mm -hmm. came in and took advantage of a back line that was exhausted because they had to deal with Brendan Aronson and Paul Ariola for 68 minutes by the time he came in. No, everything we talked about with verticality, right, all those moves – Aronson and Ariola were either both or one were in all of them, every single one. And even in the ones they weren't in, right, if it was on the opposite side and one of them was in it, one of them wasn't, the other one was high and they were occupying their defender and they were testing them and they were making them sprint back and they were really, really good tactically all night. They were very smart with how they played. They were obviously relentless with how they moved. Their defensive pressure was fantastic. Ariola almost scored a goal off blocking a, a kick from Andre Blake. You know, um, I'm going to read the quote that that Burhalter had after the match about these guys. When you think about Paul and Brendan, I would hate to play events against those guys. They're relentless. They don't stop. It's annoying. <laughs> I think I turned to you at one point, Paul, during the game, and I would. I think I said I would hate playing against these guys. It would be a nightmare because they're constantly running, constantly. It's annoying. I mean, as a coach watching them, I'm like, oh my God, you guys are not stopping. You keep going. And they harass those defenders the whole time. It was really an incredible performance from the two of them. Now, these guys are going to be dead. I don't think we're going to see either of them, certainly in the, from the start on Sunday. Paul, I mean, there, there, was a, there was a little moment that I'm going to write about tomorrow where Brendan Aronson was walking into the room for the press conference after the game and he kind of stumbled. He tripped over something. And um, U.S. Men's National Team press officer Michael Cameron turned to him and kind of like chuckled and was like, are you okay? And Brendan was like, yeah, my legs are just jelly. Like he, he was he was cooked completely, even yeah, still in the absolutely. press conference room. His legs were wobbly because of how much running he had done. And, and Greg, he came Greg off. Greg Berhalter talked about – he came off in the 68th minute. Greg Berhalter talked about how 
when they were preparing for these games, they before camp started, they put the minutes up, just like Sam did, you did, in an Excel sheet for us at The Athletic, of the number of minutes that these guys had played over the last two weeks or a week or so. And Brendan Aronson was going 90, 90, 90 in the league, in Champions League. Yeah, he was playing midweek games and, too. And Berhalter yeah. actually said we didn't think he'd be able to go for us in the first game because of how many minutes he had played and then he's flying all the way from Salzburg and he did. And he not only did he, he did what he what he did. And Paul Ariola was playing a lot of minutes for DC United as well and did what he did. I will say now, again, it was an incredible performance. I don't think either of them can start in Panama. I don't think there's any yeah. way. I mean, certainly not. Ariola, who went full 90. I mean, I was turning to you after they went up 2 nothing, and I was like, get both of those guys off. Like, they're dead. And, and Ariola kept going, to his credit. He never he never slowed. Um, but yeah, I think the plan has is, is got to be, certainly for Tim Moya, who we haven't really talked about, but he was excellent. Excellent in this very game. Good. Showed a lot of quality. Very good. Um, ag- ag- again, he had the advantage of being fresh against an exhausted backline. That always helps. But, but he looked really good. Probably should have had an assist. On his artist play? We, uh, we need to go back and look at the he, replay of this yeah, thing. He, he, he put a little bit of ping on that ball, but I, I would have thought it was a goal. A lot yeah. of mustard on that one. But he did really well to create space for himself. He had some dangerous moments that he created. He he rounded a couple of guys. He showed some speed. Um, it, it's like he plays for the French champions, you know? Um, so <laughs> he's a good player. Who knew? It was good to see him in a competitive match. There have not he been could have had a couple those. assists. He had two moments. He also played the ball to Zardes when Zardes megged Andre Blake, but Blake was able to turn and keep it from growing on the line. Those were both, yeah, that that was, was both Tim that was Weah giving the ball to yeah. Zardes. So he, he was very, very effective. I think he definitely starts. I would say he'll start. Well, it doesn't really matter who he starts for. I don't think you can start either Aronson or Ariola. No. I just don't think it happens. It'll so, be Hoppy you know, or Hoppy, Hoppy or Roldan yeah. with Weah out there. Yeah. Um, but... I just really, really, really impressive performances from both of those wingers tonight. For sure. All, all three of those pa- wingers, I should say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Paul, let's take a quick break here, and then we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about this game, and we'll look a little bit ahead to Sunday in Panama as well. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think... 
I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And we are back. Allocation disorder post-game USMNT 2-0 Jamaica. U.S. now in first place in the Ocho after Canada. Shout out to Canada, by the way. Drawing 1-1 at the Azteca. Paul, correct me if I'm wrong here. You were the one that tweeted this out, I think. First team ever to get a result at the U.S. and Mexico in the same World Cup qualifying cycle? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's incredible. And, and you know, I... I Canada is making the World Cup. They're making the World Cup. I, I'm pretty sure going back to, like, the 30s, Mexico something like 63-8-2 and two in qualifiers at the Azteca, including tonight. So it just goes <laughs> to show that only 10 teams ever have gone to the Azteca and gotten a result in World Cup qualifying history. And this team tonight was one of those 10 teams. So a big, 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 yeah. big, big, big result for Canada. We're not here to talk about that, though. Um, we are here to talk about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we've obviously talked a lot about some of the the players up at the top of the formation, right? Pepe, Aronson, Ariola, Tim Weah, Yunus Musa, deservedly so. Let's shift our focus a little bit more to the back. Matt Turner didn't really have much to do tonight. Um, he made one save that was solid. I think there was one play that he, he held across well, um, but pretty standard, not a lot of activity. I thought his distribution was mostly fine. There were um, There was a moment or two when you're like, what are you doing, Matt? But I think for the most part, it was good. And, and he was aggressive with his, particularly with throwing the ball out. And I thought he did a nice job there. Um, but I do get nervous and appreciate he really looks that ball into his foot every time it's played back to him. You know, you gotta like, keep your the, eye on the, the number ball, of man. mistakes goalkeepers make where they uh, let the ball slide under their foot. And Matt Turner is definitely focused on making sure that does not happen. He does not want to let that happen. So, um, Credit to Matt Turner for making sure that he does not become a goalkeeper on a highlight where the ball goes under his foot. But every time he stares that ball down uh, into his foot, I get a little uh, nervous. I mean, get a little nervous. About he's it. A, he's <laughs> already had a not top ten in his life. He's had the not top ten moment on Sports Center, not for anything with the ball with the feet, but there was a moment when he was in college that he doesn't like reliving. It almost made him quit the sport. Kind of crazy. Anyway, um, so he didn't have a ton to do. Let's talk about the defenders. Let's we'll start with the center backs. Okay. Miles Robinson, Walker Zimmerman. We knew Robinson was going to start. We did not know who was going to start next to him. Uh, we predicted that it would be Chris Richards, but I, I think you, I mean, you and I were talking. We weren't going to be surprised by anyone next to him. It could have been Zimmerman. It could have been McKenzie. It ended up being Zimmerman. Uh, he was actually a late call-up to this camp. He only came in after Tim Ream had to pull out 
um, because of family reasons over in England where he is based. Um, John Brooks pulled out a few days after, so the U.S. only has four center backs in this camp. Uh, Zimmerman stepped up. I thought he did a good job. Uh, the distribution from him and Robinson at times I think could have been a little bit sharper. Um, but Zimmerman won just about every single ball in the air, <laughs> which is why I think he started tonight. Bingo. Right? Jamaica has some big, some big boys. Shamar Nicholson is a good player and kind of a tank. Um, and this is maybe the one team in CONCACAF where the U.S. isn't going to have a big natural advantage on set pieces. In fact, maybe even they're at a disadvantage. So you had to be wary of that, and Zimmerman did a nice job there. He he really relishes those big, powerful headers that he can step into. And as a fellow tall, I appreciate that from him. So I thought he did pretty well tonight. What, what do you think about that center back pairing? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would agree in, in the defensive side of things. Walker Zimmerman was really important tonight in, in the number of headers he won, his aggressiveness in going up to win those headers. I mean, there was one moment actually where Serginho Dest, up to nothing late in the game, made like a crazy Serginho Dest meandering run, dribbling the ball, and dribbled himself into trouble, tripped, <laughs> tripped and fell, gave the ball away, and the counterattack went the other way, and Serginho was like jogging his way back. He was exhausted. and because he didn't recover fast enough, there was a man on the far post wide open, and Zimmerman didn't realize it until the cross came in. Such a good and header. he started backpedaling, and it was able to somehow win the header. Sam, you were shocked when it happened. Then Serginio fell down and started grabbing his cap and got subbed out for yeah. Shackmore. I think I was as he was so jogging back, I turned, to you and, <laughs> I turned to you and I said, Shackmore, please. Like I was like Burhalter calling for Shackmore from the corner because I saw that Serginio Dust had no interest in, in trying to recover. Um, whether it was pure exhaustion or just uh, actual cramps or what, hey, I don't know. But you know what? We've gone after Serginio on the show before. I don't think his performance tonight is worth going after. I thought he was engaged. I thought he was dangerous in the attack. He obviously had an assist. Um, he helped with that verticality at times. Um, and yeah, is he going to win every challenge defensively? No, that's not his bag. But he tried tonight, and that was more than he did. For sure, there was a <laughs> there was a moment in the game, Sam. Where I, where I mentioned to you, you I think you looked away for a second, but Serginio was you saw the tackle Serginio made, and yeah, I said, yeah, no, he had just finished a thirty yard sprint to get back and recover and make that tackle, and you were like, yeah, man, when he is committed, he is really, really good. He is really, yeah, really good. He can be. I mean, he plays for Barcelona for a reason. And he I ain't think, a scrub. And I think. Ultimately, the, the goal of, of this U.S. team is to get him to be really good and to actually try to attack through his side more often than not. And early in this game, they were attacking a lot through the left side through Anthony Robinson. And that's not Anthony Robinson's strength. His strength is not to be the guy on the ball carrying it forward, dribbling yeah. and combining and passing. There, there were a few times when he got released behind the back line, which is more of his that strength. That is his strength, is for the ball to be yeah. building up somewhere else and for his off-the-ball movement, his pace his ability to read space to be what he's doing. And then you find him in space and he either serves it one time or shoots. Um, and in fact, you know, that was that moment that you mentioned earlier. He, he actually did that and had opening in space and Paul Ariola was open and he missed the pass. But um, yeah. anyways, the goal should be to, to be running more of that through Serginho Dest. I thought he was very good tonight. I thought, you know, Walker Zimmerman was, was good in what he, what he was asked to do. Um, and, and I think you saw in the second half that Tyler Adams started to drop back in between the center backs more to help with that distribution yep. issue. Um, who also 
really gain an appreciation for his ability, Tyler Adams, to read plays. It's something else watching him in person, man. Yeah, it's really, really fun. He his he he just has such a good feel for where to be defensively to be disruptive, and it's really actually incredible to watch. Like some of the things that he reads. I think I think the mark of an amazing defender is when you can really affect a play without having to make a challenge. And Adams did that a lot tonight, right? He was putting out fires that you might not even really notice that he's putting out the fire because he's not winning the ball. He's not making a challenge, but he's shutting something off, whether it's a passing lane, stopping a guy dribbling, and they, they make a turn away from him and out of out of a danger area, um, or just delaying even, you know, on a, on a promising-looking counterattack. And he was all over the place. He, he didn't have the most active or effective night on the ball. In terms of distribution, he did start the play that led to the second goal. He found Anthony Robinson on the left. Um, Robinson then took one touch, boom, right to Aronson, who, who slotted across across for Pepe with, for a one-time finish. Another really incisive, fast, vertical move. Um, but, you know, he wasn't super active in possession. Um, and then I think the only guy we haven't really talked about is Weston McKinney. and. I thought Burhalter put it well after the match when he was asked about him. He said he had a professional performance, and that's something I would agree with. You know, obviously this was a big spot for him, coming off the suspension and all of the drama and emotion that was involved with that last window. Also coming off of a poor performance in his only game last window in El Salvador. Um, so he had a lot to prove tonight. His home state, too, in Texas. I'm sure that, that was meaningful for him. He came out with a little blonde streak. In his hair, he didn't. I don't even think he he didn't have that at training yesterday. So that was a that was a recent development. I haven't seen it up close. The consensus in our well, you're not in it, but in the athletic WhatsApp channel was that it looked <laughs> a little bit better from a distance than it did up close. So I have to reserve my judgment until I see. I'm it into it, man. Everyone knows bleaching your hair helps you run faster. That's just like a scientific fact. I forgot. Sam is our resident flow expert for the athletic soccer. That's right. He's got some real yeah. flow going right now. <laughs> it's it's something i don't know it's like a homeless man's brendan aronson haircut basically that's Um, actually not a bad shout you you actually have got a little bit of a nutty professor look going right now all right oh wow i do i haven't even looked at myself in this skype window i look insane i got some einstein stuff going on um anyway what were we talking about weston mckinney yeah so he had some good moments i thought i thought he was good defensively um Again, another guy that wasn't super influential on the ball, uh, but he did have some good moments. Um, and what was really encouraging for me is to see how engaged he was after, right? And, and that's a good response, right? It was a cool moment when Pepe came off and the crowd is chanting Pepe's name and giving him this big, nice ovation, well-deserved. And and Weston is turning to the supporter section. It was right before a corner kick. And so they're all in the box down there. He turns to the supporter section and he's trying to amp him up, right? Like even more, like he's doing the, the, you know, raise, he's raising the roof, whatever, raising the roof. Yeah, he's waving getting, his he's arms cl- up saying he's, more there noise. There we go. That, that's what I was looking for. You all know the, the gesture. He was, he was clapping for Pepe and for Aronson who came off together. Um, and I thought that was like a really kind of nice moment. We saw him yesterday at training, you know, and he was same old Weston for sure. Like I, I remember, you know, there, there were, just kind of out on the field congregating before they did their formal warm-up, kicking, juggling, kicking the ball around, whatever. And Wesson comes running over. DeAndre Yedlin's kind of in the corner, 
stretching by himself and Weston comes running over and just like playfully tackles him. <laughs> And he's laughing. Yeah, he like knocked him over. He like shoved him over yeah. and then Yedlin pretended like he hurt his shoulder. And, and uh... <laughs> So, that's what Weston brings to this group that no one else really does to that level. And sometimes, it, you know, he needs to rein it in. I think we saw that last window. <laughs> Can't be doing that in, in every setting. But it is an important dynamic that, that gets added to any team setting. So, it was good to see him back in a positive way. Although, Burhalter noted it. You know, he wasn't at his best. But it was a professional, decent, solid performance, even when he wasn't completely firing on all cylinders. So I thought that was positive, too. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's only one one thing. We've gone through the entire starting 11, Sam. So I just want to give you a chance to vent, yeah, to critique something that's really been bugging you about. Nashville, <sighs> I bugging was so you mad tonight. about this. Before you go into this, what we're going to talk about is the pregame atmosphere from U.S. soccer. And yeah. And, I do want to add that you're not the only person that has this opinion. Kevin Baxter tweeted about it. I felt the same way. <laughs> it is overwhelming. It is loud. It is something that messed and not, up not my in a ears good way. for like, a, an, uh, like an hour before the game. And Sam, I'll let you take it from here. Yeah, so this has nothing to do with the fans. I thought the fans were great tonight. And, and I thought they actually really elevate. They helped the U.S. elevate. I thought they made a difference. Um, but before the game... U.S. soccer is doing this thing. This is like policy now. It happened in Nashville too. Same exact thing. They have a, an actual in-stadium hype man. They have a DJ. The DJ is playing like LMFAO and Pitbull. And, you know, some people will roll their eyes at those musicians. Not me. Okay? I love Pitbull. Like, non-ironically. I've been to a <laughs> Pitbull concert. Naperville Rib Fest 2018. Incredible show. Number of times Great I've heard night. about the Naperville Rib Fest in 2018. It's just incredible. <laughs> it's just, well, you know, if, if you saw Pitbull there, you, you would think it was incredible too, Paul. Um, anyway, I'm not trying to knock these musical acts, but when you play them at the length that U.S. soccer is playing them in the pregame production and at the volume that they're playing them at, you're you're not leaving any oxygen for the fans to create an atmosphere of their own. And that's what drives the game. That's what drives a home field advantage. And Austin was able to overcome it, right? Because that, that's how and I say overcome intentionally. They overcame it, right? You have to bring extra. Your, U.S. soccer is not facilitating a good environment here. They're not. They're facilitating a bad one. And that's what we saw in Nashville, in my opinion. And, and then, you know, you do these things where you have guys on the mic in the supporters section and you're trying to lead the stadium in chance from the jumbotron and like, okay, I guess that's fine. But like, how hard is it to do a USA chant with a slow clap? I don't think people need to be instructed with that. It's three letters in a slow clap. People know how to do that. Like have a little more faith in your fans, give them the oxygen to create a real environment. These can be really hostile places for road teams to play. If us soccer allows that to happen, um, and this is sort of just like a weird little behind the scenes thing that, you know, it doesn't sound like that big of a deal. Like, okay, they're playing music loud, like whatever. But like, I think it, I thought it was a big deal in Nashville. And I think it could have been a big deal tonight if the crowd wasn't as good as it was. And I just don't know why U.S. soccer isn't putting itself in a better position to have the crowd help the team. It's it's a weird thing. I don't, I don't get it. And it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable for anyone. It's really not. And I think you put it the right way. It, you don't give them 
the oxygen to do it on their own. And that's when it's at its best. And, 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 you know, stuff like that USA chant with the, with the claps and other chants that they did where they, where they went to the, to the jumbotron to do it. Like people picked up on that stuff when you're in. Yeah. It just feels fake. It doesn't feel real. It happens. They, they recognize. And the funny thing is, is like, sometimes people don't realize like, like there were things that were happening naturally, organically that were getting drowned out by some of the stuff because the people that were doing it yeah. didn't realize that there was a chant happening already that was not coming from the supporter section that just, you know, just let, let these fans do their own thing. And especially, please, just turn down the volume on the DJ for <laughs> Look the at, first us, hour and a half old men. before the game. It was, it's, it's like abs- actually like obnoxious. It was actually yeah, obnoxious. It was bad. Um, I'll go back to the game in El Salvador, which Paul said that you were not there. Um, but they had a tinny, crappy sounding PA. And they were playing music, but it wasn't that loud. And the fans were having a party in the stands. And the fans were carrying the atmosphere and they were dancing along to the music. They were grooving with it. But like the fans drove that atmosphere. And everyone saw what it was before the game. That place was wild for that national anthem. Right? And I'm not saying that Q2 Stadium is going to have the same sort of atmosphere as the Stadio Cuscatlan. It's not. <laughs> not at this point. <laughs> yeah, right? But it could be better than what it was if it had a little more oxygen for the fans. Yeah, but it, it does make, I mean, like, speaking of that, like, I think Greg Berhalter's been talking about, like, how important the anthem can be, how special that is for the players when the anthem is playing for their country. I think part of it is re- realizing how much of a lift El Salvador and Honduras get in their home stadium when the fans are singing the national yeah. anthem loudly. I think that's an acknowledgement from Greg Berhalter of recognizing that how much yeah. of a lift those teams are get from that atmosphere. It is, it is cool. It is special. I've been thinking a lot about what it'll feel like in March to be in the Costa Rican stadium when that anthem plays for me. Like, yeah. for, for, you know, it's, it's just, um, you have to let those moments happen organically. That's what makes them special. That's what makes them different. That's what gives you the chills when yeah. it happens, you know? And there was this moment in the game, um, where we mentioned it a couple times now where I don't think we mentioned it on the show. We talked about it off off air. Well, we mentioned on the show the run that Weston made where he the little combination he yeah. got through and he got blocked out for a corner. And at that point there had been a you know, five to ten minutes of, of Jamaica being in a low block and not really a ton happening. And when that moment happened, the fans got fired up because it was a nice little creative moment, a little you know, quick combination. No, play it was a and, really good moment, and and they all started che- cheering like loudly, like oh, they they felt yeah. and the energy in the whole place, in the players, in the fans, everyone picked up with that. Like the the, the crowd yeah. was lifting the national team to up their energy, and the same thing happened after the first goal. Like obviously, the 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 cheers after the goal were huge, and it was great, and the atmosphere stayed live, and and it like. Moose was going at people and Des was going at people and, and McKenney got in on the act at one point because the, the energy never dropped. Yeah. The buzz was going yeah. and, and you just have to let that happen. Before we go to a break, I know we're about to go to a break real quick. I just want to say real quick, one request for Sam is when Pepe scores goals, play Pepas. <laughs> That's all he's saying. Play Pepas. <laughs> Pepas for Pepe. Listen, you don't have to play it in the stadium. Just play it at home. You know, fire it up on, on your iPhone on your smartphone, put it on your computer. Just just fire it up. You'll thank me later, all right? We'll take a break, quick break, and then we'll go to Panama. Pepe, Pepas, and Panama <laughs> for a party. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willingly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. And we are back for the final segment of Allocation Disorder. We're going to make this a quick one. We're looking ahead a little bit to Panama. On Sunday, USMNT is traveling down there on Friday. Paul and I will actually be on the charter flight this time around. That's something they offer to a few journalists. I think it's four this time um, for each flight. So we we won the lottery this trip. So we get to be on the charter plane. Um, Kind of a cool little peek behind the curtain for you guys on that. Um, So traveling down tomorrow and playing on Sunday, Panama lost 1-0 at El Salvador. Earlier on Thursday, they are now in fourth place, tied with El Salvador on points, uh, five points for Panama so far through four games, but they're ahead of El Salvador on goal differential. So they are in fourth. Um, Paul, I'm just going to put it bluntly. This is not a strong Panama team. This is not the same Panama group that went to the World Cup in 2018. Um, It's probably not even as good of a team as the one that almost went to the World Cup in 2014. Um, That was sort of the golden generation of Panamanian football. Um, This one has some of those same players, but they are older and not quite as good. 
And the younger generation hasn't really come through in a way to replace those guys. So this is not a strong team. There are points there for the taking, in my opinion. Um, but as we sort of mentioned at the top of the show, there is going to be rotation for the U.S. So how do you see this one playing out from a lineup perspective for the USMNT on Sunday? First of all, I want to say that that team that went to the World Cup in 2018 was not a good team. It was the worst team at the World Cup. And the U.S. US smashed them in Orlando. A year ago, almost exactly, all right, four, sorry, almost exactly four years ago to the day, October 6th, I believe it was, and they smashed them 4 nothing or 4-1 so in Orlando. Does that, mean, does that mean that the anniversary of Kuva is like tomorrow? Coming up. These are things we should this know. Is, these are things that could have, you know, might work in a narrative game story. I says the person who's supposed to be thinking about narrative game stories. Anyways... Um, <laughs> No, look, I looked at this window as a really important window for the U.S. because it's two home games, and so you expect three points in home games. If you're the U.S., you have to expect three points in your home games. And then it's a very winnable road game, if there's such thing as a winnable road game in CONCACAF. There there is such thing. There is. Because they won it. They won in Honduras, 4-1, and you should expect, I don't want to say expect to win in Panama, but this is a winnable game. You should expect you should expect a result. You can talk about nine points. You know, this is the window where you could talk about nine mm-hmm. points. The last window 100%. was not that. And so this becomes a really interesting game in Panama because if you win this game and you go in to that game against a struggling Costa Rica side, they're gonna be desperate. We'll get into that later down the road, but you could walk out of this thing with nine points. You could walk out of this with fourteen points through six games six and games. be in a fantastic position. I mean, 14 th- points through six games, like it would take a pretty big, 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 big misstep at that point to miss out. I don't know. I, I still think this is shaping up in a way where it's U.S., Mexico, and Canada, and I don't think it's going to be that close. Yeah, I think those I, three are, are pretty clearly above the rest of the group. When you look at the table, that's how it feels right now. You know, there's... Yeah. I think so far, El Salvador and Honduras, to me, are the two. El Salvador is feisty. They are. And I think Honduras is better than the result that we saw in the U.S. I think that they are a team that is going to make life difficult. They drew, they drew in Canada. Yeah, yeah. They're, 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 they're a good team. I actually think Honduras is a pretty good team. But I agree with you. I think there, is, there are three clear teams that are the better teams in this, in this region. But, you know, it'll say a lot for the U.S. if they can come out of this with nine points. And I think you're going down to Panama right now with a lot of confidence. My, my column though, for that will run tomorrow, yeah, the same day as this, as, as this story, or sorry, as this podcast is that, you know, this is a young team and the growth and the progress of this team is not going to be linear. There are going to be some lows like we saw in the first two games in September. There are going to be some highs like we saw in the second half against Honduras and, and tonight, um, know against Jamaica that's that's the product of how young this team is I mean 29 players have played for the U.S. in the first four games that's wild man 21 of them have made their World Cup qualifying debut it's also wild it's crazy and yeah and you know today that first goal was an 18 year old to a 20 year old to an 18 year old to 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 put that first goal in the back of the net yeah. to give the U.S. Well, the lead. actually it was eighteen twenty eighteen twenty eighteen. If you want to be technical about it, yeah, well, just those three players and 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 Brennan Aronson on the left wing is also twenty. 20. I mean, yeah. it's it's 
such a young team. We need yeah, you're, if you're 23, you're old on this team. And my warning is you have to understand that there are going to be some pains and some learning on the go. And that's what Greg Berhalter talked about. I asked him, you know, again, I, I pointed out 18, 20 to 18. And I said, what does it mean to you to see these young players stepping up in big moments? Didn't bite. And he, the funny thing he is before the game, he was all about, no one talks about how young this team is. <laughs> After the game, he was like, oh, we better not get too far ahead of ourselves here. Because if we start thinking that we won the World Cup or that we had, we had qualified for the World Cup already, we're going to get our asses kicked in Panama. That's what he said. That was the yeah. quote. And he's right because this is a really young team. And if you start to believe that one mm-hmm. result will bleed into another, you're going to you're gonna get in trouble. And you don't need to be yeah. young for that to happen. It happened when they smashed <laughs> Panama and Orlando yeah. and went down to Cuba and expected to just get a result there. And so – you know, that's kind of what this column is. All right, look, let's take the good, let's take the bad, but we have to find that equilibrium and understand that this mm-hmm. is a young team that's building towards getting to the World Cup, but really in a, in a, in a, in one way also building towards 2026. And, you know, let's enjoy yeah. it, but let's not get too far ahead of ourselves with Pepe. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves no. with Aronson. That it will happen. No, it Pepe's will happen the real over deal, time. Bro. Yeah, but it will happen over time. Let's, no, it's let, happening let's now. Understand, let's let, let's understand that we <laughs> that we're gonna see these we're gonna see these ups yes. and downs because of yes. the youth. Because of the youth. No, you're 100 percent right, and I think we saw that in the first window. I will say, I think this group has learned a lot, and I will say, Paul, and this isn't something that we have time for on this show, but maybe it's for a different show, maybe in a week. Uh, I think there's something to the simplifying of the approach that comes with not having your star attackers who can do a lot of amazing things on the ball and off the ball in Christian Pulisic and Gio Reyna. Not saying the ceiling is higher with this current team, but I'm saying in some ways a simpler, kind of more straightforward approach can be a little bit more effective. Um, and I think that makes me very optimistic for this window. Super interesting, super interesting decisions Greg Berhalter has to make and and will have to make, provided everyone's healthy. But, you know, you look at that midfield, you think look at the wingers and you think, right now I don't think you can bench Brendan Aronson. You're, you're no. definitely starting Christian Pulisic at Fizer. So if you've got Christian yeah. there, you've got Brendan there, you know, do you, you're moving. If Gio's healthy, when Gio's healthy eventually, you're moving him inside and now, Maybe. now Maybe. you've got to say, okay, are you going to start over Eunice? Are you going to start over Weston? That's the competition. There's now potentially a competition for two jobs between Eunice Musa, Gio Reyna, and Weston McKinney. I mean, this is the level of depth for this team. All very young players. I also want to say that that's assuming that everyone's healthy. That never yeah. happens. Never happens. Never, ever happens. <laughs> well, it's good to have the talent in reserve for when guys are not healthy. Paul, speaking of in reserve, um, it's time for us to go to bed. Uh, I don't know if that segue made sense. Yeah, I have no... What what you're trying to say is we have nothing left in our reserve tanks and so it is time for this to be Thank you. Yes. Yeah, that is what I meant. (laughs) That's exactly what I meant. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of Allocation Disorder. Hopefully it has been illuminating and entertaining. Uh, I know I had a good time, but I'm slightly biased. I'm Sam Stasekul. He's Paul Tenorio. We'll be back Sunday night, Panama City. Enjoy 
the game. I hope you enjoyed the one tonight. Uh, thanks for listening.